topic of the day. <laughs> John, I apologize. This is a week late. Um, so obviously mm-hmm. it'll feel like an eternity in internet time. Uh, however, I thought we could discuss the late, great Christopher Plummer, um, who sadly passed oh. um, mm-hmm. uh, 24 hours since we're recording this episode. We're recording a, a little in advance of how we normally do. So, so if anything happen to, happens in the next, uh, let's say, 72 hours, I, I apologize if we don't know or reference it. But... Um, I mean, we don't even know what GameStop stock is going to look like at that point. Maybe GameStop uh, oh, John, just stop it. <laughs> you might as well say, like, <laughs> referring to GME now is like is like talking about the bobtail nag. That's how quickly moves uh, news moves right now. So mm. remember Bean Dad? I'm going to bring up Bean Dad at the beginning of every episode for 2021. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite is the Harlem Shake. Look out for our Harlem Shake video <laughs> coming out any day. Yeah. <laughs> It's taken seven years to edit, but oh boy, you're gonna love it. But yes, we're we're saddened by the passing of Christopher Plummer, and um, it's really disappointing because I wanted to accuse his uh, living nurse of murdering him, but you know, unfortunately, <laughs> there's not a lot of evidence for that yet. So um, yeah, what are your favorite Christopher what, uh, Plummer yeah. memories, Greg? <laughs> uh, how apropos to go out like well, how else could he play it? I mean, he he acted all the way till. <laughs> till his, set, his untimely passing at the age of 91, which I know mm. we can lament his passing or whatever, but he did lead a long, full life with a long, full, in, uh, industrious career. I think starting with the, I guess where we all like kind of fall in love with him is with the sound of music and and being uh, gay orge and uh, I don't know with those classic <laughs> moments like ripping the Nazi flag and you know singing the sweet tender song even though he was such a prick uh, to his children, <laughs> like you know. <laughs> He could be. He could play everybody's dad at that point, and I think later in the career he kind of um, transitioned in, into that. Not only at the, as the as the patriarch of the family and Knives Out, but also I was thinking of his his only Oscar winning performance, Beginners, mm. which is uh, which is weirdly on his IMDb t- his top four on IMDb, which is kind of strange. Well, yeah, but, I just mentioned again, John. Like, he won he won an Oscar for it. I mean, <laughs> okay, fine. But let's not forget, he was also in a lot of other Oscar winners, like A Beautiful Mind. Yes. And uh, uh, did Alexander get nominated for I anything? Uh, he's, been, he's been in a lot. Yeah. He's yeah. been in a lot. Um, and and a, lot of, a lot of everything. Like my other favorite performances, he played Mike Wallace in, in The Insider. And like, mm. like a damned uh, principled journalist. So, you know, that's that's wonderful as well. And and don't forget, he saved us from an uh, interminable uh, performance by Kevin Spacey when he was digitally replacing him <laughs> yes. all the money in the world. <laughs> now that's professionalism right there. He's like, you're going to do what to my face? Okay, why not? Let's do it. They did that in three months. How incredible is that? I mean... <sighs> I mean, special effects artists don't get the due they deserve. Oh, it like, wasn't just special effects. I think they got the same locations and everything, and just oh, really? Yeah, it wasn't Damn. just a well, digital. Because again, I assume like Ridley Scott's a technical guy, so I would assume that they did it all digitally. I don't know, but it's all fakery. Like <laughs> you know, we have we have like freaking Mark Hamill now showing up in TV, just like these dead eye homunculus. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know, but oh, you're referring to the season finale of WandaVision, right? Is that yeah, well, correct. No, they saved that cameo for only episode six, okay? There's still, like, two more episodes to go. Anything can happen. Wait a minute. You're telling me... So, uh, I'm bristling at this, not just uh, at all of now Disney+. We're, ch- we're changing topics. Keep yes, up, guys. Yes. Keep, yeah, change. keeping up. Uh, yeah, anyway, we're past Christopher Plummer, rip in peace. You know, we're, we're past yep. that, yeah. <laughs> No, but you just brought up um, two of Disney Plus's original offerings, The Mandalorian and WandaVision. And now I'm I'm bristling at the fact that not only are they less than ten episodes per season, but also barely clock in at forty minutes per episode, right? Oh, especially Wandavision. Wandavision's a solid three because mm-hmm. the idea is that it's meant to be 
for the first couple episodes. The fourth episode is like the exposition dump, where it's like, okay, here's what's really going on. We can't like keep you in suspense forever. Um, the first three episodes do try to imply that this is a sitcom that you are watching, complete with fake commercial breaks. So, fake commercial breaks. Yeah. What what commercials are they playing? Like. So it's like, like again, it's era indicative. So it's like uh, the first episode feels like a 50s sitcom. It feels like a pastiche of the Dick Van Dyke show. And um, But what are the ads? Oh, the ads are like, um, they would be like, they're, they're typical of what would be like, let's say, dish soap or mm-hmm. um, a, like a fancy watch. But the thing is, it's like a reference to something in the Marvel Universe. Like the watch ad, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, but it's like, you know, hide your watch, always keeping time, always waiting for you. <laughs> like, And, you know, it's like vaguely sinister. Um, in the last episode they just did, the fake commercial was for a... Um, uh, a dish, uh, not a dish soap, um, uh, like a bounties, like a paper towel kind of product, mm-hmm. and its name is Lagos, and it's because someone earlier in the rep- episode references that Wanda accidentally like blew up a bunch of people in Lagos by accident. You know, remember Marvel Civil War? No. So it's like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> she she fucks up in Civil War. She kills a bunch of innocent people by accident. Okay, now you know, I now I remember. Thing. That's the last yes. time they shot a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie outdoors. I think. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> Anywho. Um, and so someone references that in the episode, and then for the fake commercial break, you know, there's a paper towel commercial for a product called Lagos. It's like, Lagos, for cleaning up all your messes. And, you know, uh, so it's like referencing, you know, and again, it's, it's, that's like 80s pastiche, because now we're up to the 80s slash 90s. I think the next one is going to be like a take on like Modern Family. It's going to like look more like a kind of a mockumentary style, mm-hmm. like The Office, I think is going to be their main p- point of reference, but who knows. Okay. So yeah. when do they start flying and fighting? That's that's what I want to get to. That's the thing that's Oh, they just Yeah, they just started doing that. Like they started kind of like now that now things are starting to break down in the story. Mm-hmm. And so uh Wanda and Vision actually have a fight. Not like an actual physical altercation, but they start like, you know, like, you know, their powers start to, you know, start illuminating and things look like they're it's going to start getting out of control. So it's going to be happening soon, okay, Greg? But you got to stay tuned. Right. That's that's how they get you. <laughs> I do honestly think that like Producers have to now do this calculus. Like, do we do this show week to week, or do we just dump it all at once? And it's like, how does that does that really speak to the quality of show? I think it has more to do with the actual story, and I do think that this would have been better if they just dumped it all at once. Because who wants to sit week for week? It's like, okay, yes, we know something's fucked up. Like now, now we've seen the you know fake sitcom as like more of a, a indicative of something sinister going on than actual like real sitcoms, <laughs> you know. <laughs> What what do you mean like seen it indicative like it's yeah I I get it because supposed since, to be, like, yeah velvet. sitcoms are supposed to be cheery and obviously you put something the contrast is you put something very sinister underneath that like something horrific yeah. or yeah but well no and that's the thing yeah. that now that trope has outlived the actual sincere version of that kind of sitcom <laughs> well yeah because they've done it for five episodes in five decades now. <laughs> <laughs> they had the the I Love Lucy version, and then the Father Knows. Well, no, I just mean that they've done that like ever since Blue Velvet came out. Like pretty much, yeah. Hollywood's been doing this, like Pleasantville, like Truman Show, like this whole like Norman Rockwell's not what it looks like, yeah. you know that kind of thing. So that's just it's it's been overplayed, it's been overdone. I'm sick of it. <laughs> Although WandaVision's but John, have they put superheroes in it yet? <laughs> right, that's what that's what I, the revolution is. <laughs> Have they connected it to eight other movies? Does it have Cat Dennings in it? No, yeah. you ca- you can't say that. So therefore, <laughs> everything else is a waste of time. Yeah. <laughs>
Okay, is Kat Dennings in this one? Because she was in a sitcom called Two Broke Girls. That's the only connect- connection I have there. Uh, she was in the Thor movies. She was in the first two Thor movies. I know, but was she in WandaVision? As like a side... Yeah, she's in WandaVision. Oh, okay. So there's a whole there's a whole side plot with, you know, again, like I told you, episode four is when they do the exposition jump. That's when S.W.O.R.D., it's S.W.O.R.D. now, not S.H.I.E.L.D., it's S.W.O.R.D., yeah. is investigating what's going on in the town of Westview. Okay. Yeah. I'm I'm annoyed that they they stole the the theme that Pokemon already had with Sword and Shield. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, Greg, you see, they're both they're both uh, 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 done by blacksmiths. You see, <laughs> okay, uh, <laughs> they're both they're both cra- they're, they're both, both pieces by... of metallurgy needed for yes. combat. You need one or the other. It's it's the mm. contrast. It's it's Greg. It's it shows craftsmanship. Okay, because yeah. Marvel and Pokemon are both franchises that that emphasize quality over quantity. Okay, <laughs> absolutely. Um, welcome to Aspiring Snobs, <laughs> our nerd podcast where we talk about Marvel movies and Pokemon. Nerd shit. What, what what other, what's some other nerd stuff we could talk about? Wrestling? Um, you can get um, really get into the weeds of wrestling. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons? I don't know. Like, yeah. Is there enough know. to talk about with Dungeons and Dragons? Who knows? I Probably not, yeah. Because you make it up in your head, so it's like, yeah. Yeah. And there's no unified, unified theory, at least with Pokemon, there's one game every year in which you could... To talk about same with marvel movies there's one product in which you could focus in on as twitter and now does canon. every yeah and when yeah. canon you know it's like when things get too complicated that's when yeah. people kind of tune out so yeah sadly there's no dungeons and dragons uh canon until now john <laughs> you are the dungeon master you are the dm i am but your uh uh humble uh, pa- paladin paladin right <laughs> yes uh, i think journey. they have paladins <laughs> okay on a journey so you are gonna have to take me through that's what this podcast right. is now formerly it was about uh revisiting classics and john you and i trying to fill the fill up our our film bona fides and becoming snobs right mm-hmm. uh no longer now now it's now we're doing a, a campaign now we're you're all the, right you're, you're you're walking through a thick forest you and your companions and then you're okay. you're accosted by uh uh, Confederate troops. Confederate, Confederate goblin troops. troops. All right. Confederate, Confederate goblin, goblin troops. Okay. Oh, yes. so this is Dungeons and Dragons and alternate history. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, Greg, they steal your supplies and they steal your train, and only you can get it back. What do you do? <laughs> you have to roll eighteen plus for a critical save your own train. Okay. All right. Uh, before I do that, I'm also committed to realism, so I'm going to ask. I'm going to roll to see if I can use the bathroom um, first. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Rolling. All right, yes. Okay, I <laughs> roll my d20 to see if I can go to the bathroom. All right, and now I'm going to roll, go 18 plus. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I do, then I become uh, this conductor of the classic, <laughs> um, just the beloved train. Um, a piece of history, which I had no idea. But uh, now just not just a piece of Civil War history, but now cinematic history. We're, of course, talking about uh, Buster Keaton's magnum opus, The General. Here comes the General. Ladies and gentlemen. Here comes the General. The moment you've been waiting for. Here comes the General. The pride of Mount Vernon. Here comes the General. It's Washington. We are outgunned. Outmanned, outnumbered, outplanned You gotta make an all outstand Hey yo, I'm gonna need a right hand man So cards on the table yeah. We always we, we the aspiring snobs is always committing to do better, and it wasn't until after we selected <laughs> whoa, this. Whoa, whoa, whoa! You say we commit to do better, <laughs> and then we never wind up. No, that's the thing, and we never actually do because yeah. it was only after we had selected this movie I realized, oh, it's Black His Heritage Month. We should be doing something with a black cr- director, a black writer, black actors. Wouldn't that be great? No, instead we decide to do a Civil War movie that's on the wrong side of history. Yes. <laughs> 
Well, okay, to be fair, well, first I want to, the, the more cards on the table, it's possible that even, like, uh, young cinema snobs out there don't even know what the general is. This movie's nearly 100 years old now. It's a silent picture, and a lot of those, I like... I think it's in the public domain. They let it lapse, and so anyone yeah. can... Well, also, like, movies from that era didn't even survive in their film canisters, much less, like, have the, have the kind of win the kind of accolades that this movie has. So even if you've never heard of The General, hopefully you've heard of Buster Keaton, legend of the silent cinema. And uh, this is, again, considered his magnum opus. And um, when uh, the Library of Congress started preserving films back in 1989, this was um, in that first year that it joined the registry. Um, they selected The uh, the General alongside these other movies. I have a list here. Uh, Casablanca, Citizen Kane, Gone with the Wind, Singing in the Rain, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, Star Wars, Sunset Boulevard, and The Wizard of Oz. So that's that's the kind of quality that we're talking mm. about here. Um, and again, the, not the a single black people... person in any of those movies. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, but that's that's kind of the regard that people have. <laughs> and then, oh, wait, I, yeah. uh, correction. There is black people in Gone with the Wind. Not good yeah. roles, but <laughs> no. there, are, there are black people in that movie. <laughs> yeah, so... Sorry, that sorry. What of what I knew is I knew its reputation. However, I didn't know any of the context. This is also based on a true story um, mm-hmm. about a a group of uh, spies from the Union Army uh, infiltrated a Confederate camp and stole this key locomotive. This key and um, took out some communications. It was like a a bit of sub- subterfuge, a bit of um, kind of a wrangling around Chattanooga, Tennessee, and it is now a piece of Civil War history. Mm-hmm. Um, it was uh, first like, kind of publicized in books, but now uh, Buster Keaton kind of gave it a movie treatment, um, but controversially made it a comedy. Yes. <laughs> a bit of a farce, if you will. Yeah. As as some Buster Keaton did back in the day. Uh, not a dramatic actor, um, but this has a lot of drama in it. I, I, I find I it's mean, like there's a, piece a romance. Of... There's, uh, there's, there's a yeah. love story at the center of it. Yep. And, and and there's a lot of action where it's not playing up the gags. Like uh, when you picture a silent movie, you think of like uh, kind of cartoonish stuff or or overacting to the cheap seats because you obviously don't have the benefit of dialogue. But there's not, there's not a whole lot of that in Buster Keaton's performances, and there certainly is a whole lot of that here. Um, I mean, you it's look still like very disagree, goofy. But... The yeah, movie's very well, goofy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes, you're absolutely right. Buster Keaton was not a ham. He was like part of his his whole shtick was he was kind of he was underplaying it he had this hangdog expression and just kind of this blankness to him that kind of made all the zaniest happen around him just seem all the zanier so you're right like it i i would maybe disagree that it gets like too dramatic i mean this is a war film some things do get like it does get a little violent at times but it keeps a kind of cheery uh effervescent tone throughout i would say yeah and that is in spite of I guess we should look at the most controversial element, is that uh, our hero is played by Buster Keaton, and he wants to enlist in the Confederate Army to fight in the Civil War. Now, Mm -hmm. in a little context of history, uh, Reconstruction is over. Um, People are culturally trying to rehabilitate... um, the uh, Confederate States of America. I, th- I think um, some some people we understand their motivations, others we don't. Um, <laughs> in the case of uh, D.W. Griffith, with his hugely success- successful and you know aesthetically revolutionary movie, The Birth of a Nation, that's because he was a die in the wool Southerner. That's because he wanted to like actually he had, he got this cultural history of like oh this is a heritage worth preserving, and that's what he wanted to do in The Birth of a Nation. Um, here, Buster Keaton has no like connection to the south he was born in Can- kansas but he changed the story to focus on 
a Confederate soldier because he thought um, the South were the underdogs in the Civil mm. War, which now is kind of like saying the, a virus is the underdog to your body's white blood cells. <laughs> it's just, it's whatever gets the audience invested, you know? Yeah. Don't think about yeah. it too much. Exactly. <laughs> Um, people back in the 20s certainly didn't. They just wanted a raucous time. And uh, There you go. <laughs> yeah. Initially, it's not it's not very raucous. There's a lot of title cards to explain, like, hey, here's here's a train conductor who's got two loves. A, his locomotive, called the General, and mm-hmm. B, his wife, Annabelle. But the second he gets home to see Annabelle, the, there's a call to... The uh, Civil War has broken out, and there's a call to enlist Confederate men. And um, Buster Keaton's character is not allowed to enlist because he's too valuable as a train conductor. Or engineer. And he tries his darndest, and this is like the first kind of comedic set pieces. He's in line to get everyone, like for everyone to get their draft cards, and he's, you know, obviously already been rejected, but he's trying to like swipe, and you know, it's the first bit of physical comedy is him trying to actually get enlisted, but they turn him away like, no, 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 sir, (laughs) you get out of here. Mm -hmm. And um, that also leads to the other trademark gag, even if you don't know all of Buster Keaton's filmography, you probably do know this one, where he sits down on the wheel, or at least the the bar that connects the wheels of the locomotive, and, you know, it kind of pulls away, and he's nonchalant, because his wife has just um, not not divorced him, but basically um, uh, disowned him by saying, you're a coward by not joining the war effort. Um, not mm. that he could. She doesn't understand that he couldn't, but, yeah, that's kind of the... That's kind of the uh, the emotional through line that we're trying to get, is that um, he's a character who's reaching for something. <laughs> um... <laughs> If even and no matter how wrongheaded that uh, that pursuit is, gosh, I won't even, I I can't imagine anybody even wanting to even wanting to fight in a war, much less one, <laughs> much less motivated as wrongheadedly as the Confederacy was. But uh, that's kind of that's what motivates us is is the uh, is this guy and and his romantic longings as well as for this like uh, a resolution to this conflict, I guess, which is I got to say better than probably most silent films of the day. Um, <laughs> said basically we finally get to the crux of the movie it's it i think it's a year later and that is um we see this uh union army's uh plan hatched to steal this important locomotive when they when they make a whistle stop they steal the locomotive and coincidentally enough kidnap the conductor's wife um ah now his yeah. two loves are, are are now conjoined two stories converge and now now we have our first yeah. road trip movie <laughs> revolutionary yes, <exactly. laughs> I guess, that, uh, yeah, the tr- Great Train Robbery isn't a road trip movie, huh? Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> and then, so now he has to save his, his betrothed and then his uh, mm-hmm. favorite train. And so that's basically the rest of the movie is a bunch of these episodic little escapades where, you know, they're trying to stop him and he's trying to fire a cannon at the other train without, you know, and then the cannon, like, I'm trying to, I'm, why am I bothering trying to explain all the little set pieces? <laughs> he tries to fire a cannon, but it goes the wrong <laughs> way, and then it go, and then it goes kaboom. <laughs> you know, it's very es- episodic escapades, like little com- comedy set pieces, but it does have a good sense of like rising and falling action as well. It's not just like breathless, like oh, what what situation is he going to get in now? Yeah, it's it's kind of Looney Tunes stuff. 
there is that. I like I like that piece, that element mm-hmm. of it. But yeah. And I mean, like again, going back to the whole rising and falling action, not every set piece happens on the train. At some point, he gets off the train and mm-hmm. you know has to hide. Again, going back to like the whole subterfuge idea, he has to like hide in a Union general's house, and he overhears the plans, and then he gets to you know find out where they're going to be. So like. There's that kind of like there's enough variety in it that it never kind of gets like stale or boring. Like he and like I think it's the third act where the train actually you know he saves it and then gets to derail. That's kind of the big like climax. Is obviously a train is eventually going to fall into you know a river or something like that. (laughs) He sets a he sets a bridge on fire and times it for when you know the unions actually Union army finally catches up with him. You know at that point the bridge is like burning and it falls and it collapses and it's oh it's 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 pandemonium. It's big excitement all around. (laughs) Yeah, some some of it's big excitement. I gotta say, it did elicit a genuine laughs out of me when he just bonks uh, Union Union soldiers on the head to knock them out. Um. Actually, yes, that is actually a good runner. There's um, after he steals back the general successfully. There's a there's a Union soldier who's knocked out in like the wood cart, and he just periodically like wakes up, and then they have to knock him out again. Like, yeah. That's a good that's a good recurring gag. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like as a piece of connective tissue or action filmmaking, it all works. There are some things though that I I I kind of object to. One is the treatment of his wife. Mm-hmm. So one of the ways in which uh, he's able to sneak her on the uh, tra- on the general that he recomm- that he recommendeers is um, putting her in basically a mail sack and throwing <laughs> her over her shoulder. And you see in the scene he basically very violently, with no care for his wife, kind of shoves <laughs> her into the sack. And then later we see, like, everybody's loading supplies. And so what must be hundreds of pounds of stuff falls on her while she's in this bag. Um, (laughs) And later, um, yeah, as you said, they're trying to burn this bridge so that the the Union can't enact this attack, basically. And at one point she's, like, tossing him kindling. And Mm. she she throws him a very small piece. Like, it's not going to amount to much kindling. And he just, like, whips it back at her. Um... (laughs) Which I thought I thought was a bit cruel. So um. <laughs> there's also the joke where they have to restock the water. Um, I don't know how engines work, believe it or not. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, the, it, we we're all familiar with like you know the water hose station. Like the they they look like water towers, and you know they they blow the water into the. They fill keep... steam engines with waters that uh, with water that then expands in the yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, science. Anyway, um, <laughs> you know they they have to stop and refuel with the water, and you know as they're like messing with the pipes, it gets disconnected, and so she gets drenched. And I was reading the trivia, and apparently she didn't know that was supposed to happen. Like they had planned it, but then you know wanted a genuine reaction with her, so they just soaked her. Maybe like the comedy is like, oh, this is happening to a, a lady. <laughs> like, is there yeah. like that kind of joke? Like where it's like, oh, she's a she's a woman of means, so to watch her get humiliated well, is extra funny. Yeah, we did discuss sitcoms earlier, and if the honeymooners is any evidence, uh, basically violence against women is the parag- was the paragon of comedy at one point mm. in the past. So, uh, so um, not only are they racist, they're also misogynist. Great picture. Good job. <laughs> well, there's no like yes, we have to grapple with the fact that um, he's he's fighting for a huge lost cause, a huge hateful cause um, when he's fighting for the Confederacy. However, there isn't any. I'd, I'd say racial jokes or, or racism no. in this movie. I, get, I think that's the other thing that, that preserves it. Like if we compare this to say the birth of a nation or gone with the wind, there's a lot of um, cultural depictions of black people that, you know, kind of 
that make you wince today. There's mm-hmm. there's not really any of that in the general, other than the the broader um, implications of of fighting for this lost hateful cause. So yeah. I mean, yeah, this movie obviously doesn't have anything intellectual on its mind whatsoever, unfortunately. <laughs> it's just kind of meant to be a gag-a-minute fest, which is, you know, and if that's what you're looking for, then, yeah, it's, and we watched it, uh, I watched it, uh, the 4K, like, resolution, like, restoration of it, and it's an absolutely gorgeous movie. So, you know, from a from a sensual uh, perspective, it's a fun watch, but yeah, intellectually, you're not going to be challenged or interested whatsoever. <laughs> I think that's the one thing that was missing a little bit because, yeah, those there's those gags where his poor wife Annabelle is horribly mistreated. Um, mm-hmm. there, there's another one where, um, and and this kind of disappointed me because the big climax should be the train going over the bridge, but after that there is a little battle scene, and it felt weird to you have this very serious battle scene, um, and there are some as you said gorgeous shots that depict just the the scope of uh, the Union and Confederate armies going. There's um, him chopping wood, and the and the armies are advancing and retreating behind him um, on the train. That was mm-hmm. very advanced for 1926 to have like uh, this moving shot and being able to see like a an army in the field behind you and and the way that the the movements composed. That's that's wonderful. But um, then in the middle of that to have this like cannon gag where. Um, <laughs> He's he's dressed up in his in his fake um, Confederate uh, Confederate uniform that he needed to get across, uh, or at least get back into the across the Confederate line and get back into the um, uh, a safe harbor, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're trying to and they're trying to set up this cannon, but um, his three cohort three of his cohorts get shot, and it's just like a and there's a little sting over the piano, like bonk, like yeah. <laughs> And then, you know, the way the, the scene terminates is that he's, he's like, you know, trying, he's, he's trying to get into battle and he's got the sword, but, you know, he's obviously is completely incompetent. And then he just flings a sword and it falls off its handle and ends up killing um, a sniper. Like there's been someone sniping everyone around him and, you know, he accidentally kills that person on accident. And it's like, okay, like that's cute, but also like <laughs> gross. <laughs> Yeah, it didn't. It didn't make me relish. I didn't want to laugh at the extinguish the extinguishing of life. Basically, <laughs> yes. um, I mean, I know it's a movie, and yeah, you can play with those things. But yeah, I, I, that's why I wish there was a little bit more intellectually going on. And yeah, it kind of loses the thread there. I mean, it's still like a wonderful piece of in the craft of filmmaking in terms of like generating this excitement and doing those stunts like in camera without the benefit of, I don't like again computer-generated imagery, we can kind of take it for granted now. The fact that they could do all this stuff back then is is still pretty impressive. It's still an impressive piece of filmmaking. However, if you are going to put it on the level of, say, a Star Wars or oh, Casablanca yeah. or something, you're right, there isn't, enough, there isn't enough intellectually going on to kind of justify... 
like it like it's artistic merit or discusses artistic merit um we are just going to talk about the craft and and which gags work and which uh, action set pieces work and which ones don't. Um, mm-hmm. That's how that's why we're kind of limited on this discussion, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which you know, it's like on the one hand, it's kind of like disappointing, but also I think it's important to like also know how far movies have come. So I think that's also why it's worth preserving and kind of worth mm-hmm. you know, maybe not celebrating, <laughs> but uh, you know, keeping around for for intellectual discourse, shall we say. Well, uh, wait. So, <laughs> you're saying it's worth preserving, but it, but it doesn't. It's not. It's not generating anything in the intellectual discourse. It's more the historic and aesthetic um, importance. Oh, yes. Is that what you're? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I. Mean. Okay. Yeah. All right. I mean, yeah, you're right. I just when, to when academic academic there, yeah. makes it sound like yeah, I'm saying that oh, it, it needs to be preserved so we can like we need to remember that these Confederates were bad guys. <laughs> this is not the movie that we need for that. <laughs> <Yeah>. But. <laughs> Yeah, so in terms of the Library of Con- Congress's mission to preserve uh, movies that are historically, culturally, or aesthetically um, important, um, this one hits, mm-hmm. I think, uh, two of them. So, <laughs> And it is only like an hour and seven minutes, so it's not taking up much of your time. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, And it's a silent movie, so you're only kind of like half paying attention anyway. Like, let's be real. <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. I, Your brain's not like fully committed. Like, let's be real. <laughs> no, I was. I was. I was wrapped. I find it's like a foreign film in that it's oh. it does demand my complete attention to the screen. It, in the oh. case of a foreign film, because I have to read the subtitles. Here, it's because I have to consume everything visually that's going on. Mm. I mean, I did like have to stop and rewind because I was like, "Oh, he was turned away by the army. That makes sense. Wait, why?" And then I had because I completely missed the part where he was he was turned away because he was a good engineer. That's why. So see, <laughs> see, this is what the... you miss. <laughs> I got. This is also the benefit oh, of you know watching stuff at home. We're not stuck in a stupid theater. Like you know, I can't yell at the projectionist. Oh, rewind, please. <laughs> good chum. <laughs> I will say there are a lot of title cards. I. I think Busk, uh, in contrast to Harold Lloyd or, or Charlie Chaplin, like he wanted to do more story and context and needed more title cards to explain those things. Um, mm, that's a good point. Which which does interrupt up to, it does interrupt the action sometimes. Or you can kind of see like um, <laughs> with the benefit of no actual recorded dialogue, it's it, and maybe you lose something when you just have a two shot of two people like kind of like kind of conversing with each other. <laughs> mm. That's fair. That's fair. Mm. I mean, and again, like going back to like, if you're going to watch silent movie stuff, I think Charlie Chaplin's the main one you want to go with because there's more intellectually going on. But then also Charlie Chaplin was also willing to experiment with sound a little bit. Like we did um, City Lights for this podcast. And, you know, he did like, there's a lot of kind of like musical gags and cues in that one. Like, oh, he swallows a whistle and, you know, he's hiccuping and it's making a whistle sound every time where it's like here, here, not so much. Well, here, well, that's because... City Lights was produced um, in 1931, just a few years after the first talkie, and mm-hmm. it was clear that's where movies were going. At least, like commercially, that's what, that's what, <laughs> that's what, that's what we had to add the benefit of sound. Like it just mm-hmm. makes movies better. Um, here, there there was no threat of like, well, well, you got to include some sound stuff, otherwise, like your movie's <laughs> going to feel antiquated. So I guess that's a good point. Good point. Yeah. Just have to underwrite uh, me every time, don't you, Greg? <laughs> yes, I do, because I'm correct and you're wrong. So, ah. hey. <laughs> in any event, um, if you if you need low rates, you can go online, <laughs> go see the general, and save some time. <laughs> there, there you go. <laughs> so that's where that comes from. <laughs> yes. 
It's like history in the making. History happening in front of your eyes. Yes. History written in lightning, as Woodrow Wilson famously <laughs> described, uh, The Birth of the Nation, a, a film that lionized the Ku Klux Klan and yes. just depicted uh, our four black sisters and brothers as like beasts that needed mm. to be tamed. Um, yeah. Not great. No. Um, but that Shaquille O'Neal cameo, great. Perfect. <laughs> Loved it. Will he say no to anything? Um, Probably not. Uh <laughs> I I I was gonna make a, a joke. Uh, people apparently don't like him on the on the prime uh, NBA g- uh, show inside the NBA or hmm. yeah, uh, like worse he than was Charles added. Barkley. Well, th- they still like Charles Barkley, but he already feels like the the old school. Like you know, oh these young players are soft and don't go in the post enough. <laughs> oh, like, he already okay. fills that role. <laughs> so when Shaq does it, um, and he's he's even more inarticulate than uh, Charles Barkley is. So <laughs> which says something because yeah. Charles Barkley is not an orator by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> That's horrible. That's horrible. I know. Where Shaq, Shaq can be a bit of a mumbler. Um, great personality, obviously not not Very affable. In, very. There's yes. a reason why they keep booking him for commercials. Yeah. <laughs> He's a great pitch man. Mm-hmm. But in any event, this is not an NBA podcast. All right, this is about the movie. Not yet, and, anyway. <laughs> we no, have to yeah. we have to figure out how to fold it into our D and D campaign. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which I I know that you as DM will do ably. So. <laughs> Yes. Okay. N- new scenario. You're you're mm-hmm. you're in a you're in a, a temple, a, an ancient temple of, of okay. wondrous ruins. You don't know where it came from or or who built it. You you look around and you see you see a map, a map written on the walls, and there's there's one one bright bright or uh, uh, oculus at which uh-huh. something can shine through. Greg, what do you do? What do you do? Um, I I quit. <laughs> <laughs> this journey isn't worth it. <laughs> You know what? That's fair. The only winning move in D and D is to quit. <laughs> yeah. Listen, like you know, I I understand it's escapism. It's the idea of going on a journey, on a journey or an adventure. Um, but the, I think there's a reason that so few of us in life do that, and that's because it's hard. Going on journeys is is difficult, and it's far easier to uh, cut your losses and and settle in for a nice life of stasis. And and that's what I'm doing here. Um, however, I will take the opportunity. To marvel at that one beautiful Oculus, as you said, mm-hmm. and um, call it call it a big, bright, beautiful spotlight. 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 For a great low rate, you can get online. Go to the general and save some time. Hey, that's the name of the segment. Yes, and so we conclude every episode with a recommendation for a piece of media that we've either recently consumed or we feel ties or, or is somewhat connected to the uh, classic that we just watched. Um, John, do you have something? Uh... Greg, I do. I, and, All right. uh, last week, I felt like I had to up my game because you were so excited to talk about the new world. And, you know, mm-hmm. I've been I've been a little lackadaisical. I was like, ugh, looking back, and I was like, do I really have a favorite film of 2020? I don't think I do. I, the only the film I probably enjoyed watching the most was, like, The Invisible Man. So I was like, <laughs> but nothing, nothing got me really excited until a few weeks ago I caught up on David Byrne's American Utopia. Okay. David yeah. Byrne is famously the lead singer of the Talking Heads, and I, I don't know. Guess, I guess now he's an American rock on tour. Like he just yes, <laughs> <laughs> like he'll just pop up in your living room and, and just I don't know regale you for twenty minutes at a time or something. And <laughs> so this is a filmed version of a, a Broadway show he was doing, and it's ba- uh, uh, it's 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 a mixture of uh, you know Talking Heads music and some of his solo stuff because he did in 2018 he did have an album come out called American Utopia so it's a lot of music from that. Um, 
And unlike Stop Making Sense, uh, another film that we've revisited for this podcast, it's really more of a show. He'll like stop in between and, and talk to the audience, which I was a little hesitant about because part of what I love about Stop Making Sense is that he doesn't even like recognize the audience. And I have a sneaking <laughs> suspicion if there was no audience there, this is just how David Byrne acts all the time. <laughs> so <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. You know, for him to like kind of like put on a show just seems a little weird, but oh, what a show it is. Um, he's got, you know, it's, it's, it's just him and his his band and two dancers and they're all wearing the same uniform which is a gray suit no shoes and like they're choreographed and the music is just also perfect and what's also a little i guess not disappointing but this one also kind of has a bit more of a thesis than stop making sense does obviously because mm-hmm. it's called american utopia and a lot of what david byrne talks about is you know like a, a lot of what he explores in his music is like a sense of like normalcy and like suburbia and like this kind of like false notion that there is a kind of like normal and kind of contemporary americana I'd say. exactly and uh you know, obviously, this is a film, a documentary that came out in 2020. So let me, I'll let you guess what the call to action is at the end. No, oh, um, wear a mask. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> We're in this together, guys. No, it's yeah. folks. It's he. Oh, even, like okay, yeah, gosh. he does. He even does a segment during the show where he he highlights the audience and says like this is the percentage of people who actually vote in each and every election, you know, he like mm-hmm. kind of makes a point. And it's also directed by Spike Lee, which I was kind of confused about until we get to the say their name segment. So, oh. you know, it's a bit more overtly political, which, you know, take it or leave it, but it's still just a great time. Like the dance, oh, the dancers are so good. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> and the choreography and it's just, everyone is so freaking talented. Um, it's just such a great time. Okay. So I'm I'm kind of floored by the so it's not just a kind of musical performance and dance show. Um, he does. It sounds like he in the pause. Like is he is he doing crowd work or does he have a point that he's kind of like scripted or trying to get across or something? No, he has it's scripted. There's no crowd work. It's and again it's it's very brief. It's it's very brief mm-hmm. like interstitials between songs. It's mostly singing and dancing. But there's a few times you know between songs he'll stop. He'll talk for a bit talk about like maybe what inspired the song or this next song is about this and that's where he'll kind of interject maybe some kind of like political point he's trying to make so okay there's one little interesting anecdote um you know he's about to perform a song called um, everybody's coming to my house and he talks about uh this high school that actually you know the way he performs it you know it's it's meant to be kind of scary everyone's coming to my house and they're and i'm never going to be alone everybody's coming to my house and we're never going to go back home like you know this idea that he has to host this party and that's socially awkward for him but he talks about this high school they did a cover of of uh, this song and it was joyce it was raucous they're like everybody's coming to my house and he's like i can't right. perform that's i can't perform that song this way cuz i am who i am and so that's what leads into <laughs> that song and so the way he performs it so that's wonderful all right american utopia where where can we find this american utopia john it's on hbo max hbo max okay um that ties into my uh, recommendation for spotlight um Mm -hmm. because you won't find this movie on what its director has dubbed the worst (laughs) streaming service (laughs) oh no i finally caught up on as you mentioned last week, I talked about one of my favorite filmmakers, Terrence Malick. So it's time I caught up with the latest movie from another one of my favorite filmmakers, Christopher Nolan. But unfortunately, I couldn't watch it either in a theater or on a, on a streaming service. I had to rent it. I had to be a peon and, and, and 
plop down money to watch uh, his latest uh, opus, Tenant. Um, now, my hopes were not high for a few reasons. Uh, one, he wasn't working with his regular crew. Like, mm-hmm. um, he didn't have Hans Zimmer to do the score because he was working on Dune. Uh, Lee Smith was unavailable. His regular editor was unavailable. Um, there weren't a lot of, like, again, actors that he usually worked with. Like, or, so, like, it wasn't the team. Like, I, I don't believe in auteur theory. I believe in, like, teams create great movies. Um, yeah. Same with, like, Terrence Malick. The fact that he always gets Jack Fisk to do production design or, or Jacqueline West to do costume design. Like, that's what makes movies, movies great. Not just one guy. So... Again, that didn't that didn't raise my spirits. Um, neither did uh, the kind of tepid critical response. It got favorable reviews, but obviously not like laudatory ones in the same way like Dunkirk did or or Interstellar did. Um, and then, <laughs> lastly, what really dashed my hopes was um, on, on the YouTube algorithm started recommending me. Uh, videos that Tenet fans were putting together that were like 3D renderings of what they thought like happened in this film. Oh, <laughs> like no. The, yeah. <laughs> so these were like crude 3D renderings that you would see that would basically be used to recreate, say, an airline disaster or an engineering catastrophe, like those kind of 3D renderings. And I thought, oh dear, like is this is this going to be a disaster on on the same level? Um, they, it isn't. You know, what mm-hmm. it is is basically like a Bond film with a little sci-fi twist. Little because I, I in general I enjoyed the movie. However, I have uh, three major issues with it. Number one, not enough moving backwards in time. <laughs> So you, you mean see the, the, tra- the whole the whole gimmick of the movie. There's not enough of that gimmick in the movie. Yeah, exactly. So you yeah. see in the trailer, like they kind of withhold it, like like the car flipping back over, and that's because there isn't actually enough of it. Mm. Like yes, you see bullets sometimes moving backwards in time, but it feels like we're two thirds of the way through this two and a half hour movie that we're actually moving back in time, and even then, it just looks like people like moving forward in motion. Like you have the car flipping over, you have a few bullets, and and maybe a boat, and that's about it um and so like i th- i think the the problem is like he kind of realized that the moving backwards is a little bit goofy um mm-hmm. particularly the moments where people have to talk across timelines and you need this translator thing like in europe, 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 europe and then you know and then you have to be like translated across so i i think i think that's one issue like if you're gonna if you're gonna go with a gimmick go go with it full hawk and and he mm-hmm. just doesn't it's it's instead used tastefully and that's not what i wanted i don't want a tasteful movie here if i if there's one thing i'm going for a bond movie it's for taste that's what i'm that's what i want yeah exactly (laughs) well that that's kind of the other like contradiction we have here is because like uh, christopher nolan is a man of taste like he 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 generally like has these either like grand ambitions or like doesn't include a lot of like blood or sex or anything lurid in his movies and I think even though like the first half of the movie like it's really fleet of foot in terms of like hey here's your mission now you got to go to Dubai or like and you got to fight these guys in the kitchen like that that all stuff that stuff's all great but it's not until like halfway through that we meet our villain played by Kenneth Branagh and he is such a bore mm. like he's got this Russian accent and he's such a hammy like over the top actor but here is he's just giving nothing like he's just a a guy who's who's sad um like had this circumstance where he got a message from the future and is now like in this position where he's he's fighting he's fighting on behalf sorry i'm gonna spoil the whole crux of the movie it's the future fighting the past basically um because the past screwed things so much with the climate and and all that other stuff that um you know when you think about it the real villain is trauma (laughs) yeah well that 
generally, if this were Inception, yes, it would be. It would be. It would be as as Leon as Leon DiCaprio says, guilt. Um, <laughs> but but that's the other thing, and that's my other huge third problem. Like, yes, I I enjoyed the movie overall. All the stunts are great. Like the the fact that they did really ram a seven forty seven into a real building. That's it. That scene is awesome, and it should have just been two hours of that if it could have been. Um, <laughs> that's all great. But overall, like as I said, like. Inception is going for something. Like the Batman movies are going for something. Like Tenant is is nothing. Mm. <laughs> There's no thematic or kind of like even spiritual or emotional hook to the movie. It is just a Bond movie. And if you are going to have simple pleasures like a Bond movie, like go all the way. Make it silly with gadgets. Like make it fun. Like make it lurid. Like have have some blood pumping in it. And instead, like, this is just, like, I'm gonna go through the mechanics of it. It feels, the movie feels so mechanical, and it feels like, like, this is movie product that I needed to put out in July 2020. And that's what, the other thing I couldn't get over is, like, apparently Christopher Nolan and obviously Warner Brothers, because they've they're committed to stockholders, were so uh, committed to getting this movie in theaters. And if there's one thing that this pandemic has shown us, it's that a lot of our entertainment is inessential. Like, yeah, diversions are great, but like, if the movie were essential in one way, to either like say something bold, or I don't know, like, again, be uh, thematic in the way that Christopher Nolan's other blockbuster movies are, like, I'd be fine with it. But it isn't. It's 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 wafer thin. It's not it's not pursuing anything thematic. It is just. Uh, an action entertainment product and it's good at that but it's disappointing that it doesn't like say uh, try to give try to deliver something more in the way that dunkirk or gosh even interstellar does um as much as much as those movies sometimes like try and fail um to either be emotional or thematically resonant um i mean but that's always like i always had a sneaky suspicion about this film that it wasn't really going for that because if if this were like his passion he would have made it a long time ago <laughs> like it always like yeah you're absolutely right like inception always kind of felt like something he's been toying with for years and again that's why it feels so intricate and like exact and here it's just like well everyone expects me to do the elevated like action stuff so i guess i'll do it again here it is and so yeah <laughs> you're right like besides like the fact that he wants that big payday like why did this need to be in theaters besides his own ego of i i make important films capital b big films <laughs> you know well there's that and i assume he's been toying with this for a long time because you remember the opening credits in memento are also backwards and hmm According to the trivia, they did something special where they got the clearest image, image possible by running like the film backward through, backward through the reel or something. Um, so I'm sure he's been toying with this this idea too, but it he just doesn't it just doesn't coalesce into anything meaningful. Like hmm. other than like again, the the main character doesn't even have a name, um, and it, and it, John David Washington is a very capable like action star, but it's not until like the middle where he's got a like. It, he's basically a spy and putting on a show a little bit where I'm like, like where, where was this charm that was underneath? Again, it feels like it, it feels like it's not until an hour into the movie where we either get like something new, interesting happen. Um, but by then also like the plot just completely takes off into, in this whole other direction. Like Kenneth Branagh plays a Russian oligarch who's, who's sad, um, who's <laughs> mad about the future and has this like, Oh, by the way, he has this doomsday device um, that'll die when he, that'll blow up when he dies. Um, and he's going to commit suicide at this moment. Then why we don't know or whatever, it doesn't matter. Just get, get in this big battle and, and it's fine. <laughs> 
Or at least make it like more fun. And like, thank goodness we had the benefit of James Bond, yeah. like chased after diamonds. You know, make it like diamonds or something, something simpler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Instead, it's this weird, like, kind of crappy device called the algorithm. I don't know. It's not great. Um, mm-hmm. If there's one, some, somebody you shouldn't work with anymore, it's production designer Nathan Crowley because. It's his color palette. It's just grays on blacks on like cubes on like brutalist brutalist architecture. Yeah. So. Oh no. Yeah. Sorry. Sometimes it works like Inception. In in Inception, but uh, well, that was because it was like meant to be a a a fake space. So it kind of makes sense, like this idea that it's like, oh, your mind is rendering it, so it doesn't get like a lot of details. So it kind of Mm -hmm. works for that. But if this is taking place in the real world, and again, if the main conceit is time travel, (laughs) then you know, sell us on that, not the architecture. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So one thing, like maybe it's not thought out because I I should probably explain this too. And in that um, the time travel mechanic, like yes, things are like moving backwards. But if you want to move backwards, you move backwards in real time. Let's say, like, oh, I want to do this something this past Sunday, um, and it's Saturday. That means you literally have to enter the machine and spend 168 hours going backwards to reach that Sunday again. Mm. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, so there is one scene where they they start moving backwards in time, and they dully just have to sit in the in the cargo hold of a ship, basically, and talk... <laughs> talk about stuff for three scenes straight it just doesn't work that and they are talking i'm amazed we did rent this uh online so you think by rights they would have fixed the sound the reason that other people were complaining that they couldn't understand uh the movie is because the sound mix is bad and you can't really hear the dialogue and i thought they would have fixed it by the time we but thank goodness we had subtitles and i could actually read what they were saying because i couldn't actually hear it well, this is also a problem in The Dark Knight Rises. Who is his sound mixer? Like, I don't understand why he keeps using this guy. <laughs> well, one of the limitations could be, because he's so committed to f- film, like, you know, it has to be celluloid, otherwise it doesn't count or whatever, or, mm-hmm. you know, I might as well take my ball and go home or whatever. It's that the the sound has to be encoded on this piece of plastic, basically. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Because <laughs> he doesn't shoot digitally. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Ugh. Well, no. When they send the print, like I think, I think they record digitally. But when you have to send a movie print, it goes, and the light is what triggers the sound, I believe. But mm. I maybe that's old fashioned. Who knows? But I, I, I don't even know how a steam engine works. So, <laughs> 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 again, we've already defined this. So, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't mean to complain. It's still like a good entertainment product, but. Again, my my expectation when you demanded that I risk my health to go see this movie <laughs> and pay upwards of twenty dollars to see this on an IMAX screen, my expectations are a little high, sir. All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I don't even like the prestige that much. So if he thought I was going to risk my health for this, yeah. then oh, forget it. That, and I'm on the opposite. I loved Dunkirk. It was my favorite film of like the last ten years. So. <laughs> By all rights, I would have, but um, I'm glad I didn't now because, like, I've I've already, I've caught up on all on all like 23 Bond films at this point. I I didn't need another with like a little a little sprinkling of uh, backwards film reel stuff. So sorry, well, Greg. I, I yeah, I know. I I don't mean to end on a negative note. I... Well, Greg, I mean we're not gonna. The campaign's not over. Okay, you're still oh, you're okay. still going through. All right, you've you've gotten past the wizard's riddle. Okay, so now, <laughs> all right, sweet. <laughs> now I knew. I knew. By the way, I knew it would be a, a blue jay. <laughs> there you go. 
<laughs> yeah. Now you you find yourself in a small village, a little hamlet, and you walk mm-hmm. into the pub, and wouldn't you know it, Greg, it's trivia night! <laughs> Wonderful. I, I feel ready, uh, based on my success of the last trivia challenge that we had. So mm-hmm. This actually, um, this one... I, I am hoping we could find like a, a loot version, um, a, a cover of the 21 theme song uh, played by lutes and other medieval instruments. That'd <laughs> be great. <laughs> now, it's going to be tricky, because you have to... Yeah, your dexterity is really low, so you're going to have to roll like a 10 or better if you're going to get this right. So, okay, anyway. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I guess you wouldn't need dexterity. Uh, intellect? I don't know. Um, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Would Greg, it surprise you? We're, we're talking about this like we've played Dungeons & Dragons. John and I have not. Um. <laughs> I think we played like three times in middle school. I don't know. But other than that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. We were very cool kids back then, believe it or not. Uh, yes. Yeah. Any hoops. So for this trivia challenge, Greg, I was inspired by the recent news that they're going to reboot Sex in the City. Yay! <laughs> they're rolling out all those mummified corpses and, you know, except one of the principal cast members will not be returning. Kim Cattrall will not be returning to Sex in the City reboot, uh, titled 2022. Okay. I, <laughs> I had no idea <laughs> that either they were rebooting this property or that one of the main four wasn't returning either. So mm-hmm. I, I'm glad, John, I'm learning new things every day. And I think that's, that's what the purpose of the trivia challenge is. So. Of course. And it got me thinking about a lot of famous foursomes. And so that's the theme of this week's trivia. I'm going to name you um, a, a group, and you're going to name me every single member of that group. Every single member? Gosh. Okay. I mean, there's only four. There's only four, okay? You've got 12 questions. Okay, so here. I've got 16 total. Yes. Okay. And you have to get all four correctly for you to get the correct answer, all right? Here we all go. Right. All right. Name the so four the principal. Wizard, the wizard staff. Okay, the wizard staff is at stake, so there you I go. gotta do it. I gotta do it. <laughs> Name the four principal characters of Sex and the Sea. Um, I know one is Carrie Bradshaw. Mm-hmm. Um, she's played by Sarah Jessica Parker. Um, I just want the characters' names. You don't need to give okay. me Okay, all right, all right. Phew, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. now this will be easy. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I only know that because some people say, like, oh, I'm such a carry, like, when mm-hmm. they are, like, fitting themselves into the in this category of four. Yeah. Um, I wish Just I could picture remember. every, like, Helvetica experimental jet set t-shirt you've ever seen, where it's, like, Paul, George, and Ringo. You know, it's just that. Okay, um, th- so there's definitely Carrie. There is <laughs> one of the one of them has got to be a Karen. I mean, now that now that it's the biggest slur on the internet, um, one of them has got to be Karen. Uh, and then no. I'll go with um, no. Okay, um, <laughs> then oh, I didn't think it would be this painful. One of the other Gosh, this is sad. <laughs> I I don't know. <laughs> Yes, I can't believe a 33-year-old man doesn't know doesn't know who the four characters are on Sex and the City. But I don't know. I'll I'll just go with the actress's name: uh, Carrie Bradshaw, Cynthia, Kim, and um, I don't know Sarah, Car- Karen. I said Karen earlier. That's it. Oh, Greg, it's Carrie, Samantha, Charlotte, and Miranda. Come on. Yeah. Very disappointing. Oh, okay. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Shoot. Very okay. disappointing. I'm gonna log that. Yeah. I'm gonna log that in my memory bank. Yeah, I'm going to well, make sure that's deposited in the memory bank. <laughs> there you go. No. Moving on to other gay icons. Name the four Golden Girls. 
Poor girl. Oh, shoot. Um, Blanche. Mm hmm. Uh, uh, B, <laughs> Betty, and uh, Boop. Betty and Boop are, are the last two. <laughs> it's Dorothy, Rose, Blanche, and Sophia. Gosh. Oh, my. Oh, man. You are over, too. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> I I I I like the fact that I could remember that one of them Betty White was one of the Golden Girls, right? I'm right. Yes, there? she was. Yes. Okay. All right. Phew. <laughs> now I feel better. That and B. Arthur. Okay. So I'm I'm connect, I'm stuck on the actresses. All right. You threw you threw me off. <laughs> yeah. You need to. I I want the act. Okay. Number three. Name the principals of Schitt's Creek, the four members of the Rose family. Oh, uh, well, Eugene Levy, Dan Levy, Catherine <laughs> I'm not looking for the actors. I'm looking for the characters. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I haven't watched one minute of of Shit's Creek. Uh, um, uh, George, George Polina, uh, Paul, and uh, uh, Ringa. <laughs> it's Johnny, Moira, David, and Alexis. Gosh. Okay. Oh my gosh, this is so disappointing, guys. I am. I, I apologize if... for him profusely. This is this is a travesty. <laughs> Right. Who's the last woman do you think that's been named Moira? Like, do you think somebody born after the year, let's say two thousand, has been named Moira? Or no, but I also think that's that's part of the, her character is the fact that she's so old-fashioned and her her weird way of pronunciating things. Oh, okay. I've been meaning to reprise that role. You know, she, <laughs> she just she just you know it milks every syllable. <laughs> she's okay. great in that show. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. All right. Number four. All right. This one you have to get. Name the four principal characters of Seinfeld. Well, okay, this one, this one's easy because I'm at least uh, somewhat familiar with the source material. Um, okay, I'm not I'm not a 53 year old gay man, so <laughs> they are Jerry, George, Cosmo Kramer, and uh, Elaine Bennis. There you go. Good job. Yeah, Yay, you got one. Congratulations. <laughs> All right, next one. Name the four principal characters of the OC. Gosh, the OC. <laughs> um, a show no uh, one's thought about since 2004. <laughs> okay, I'll disagree based on my Twitter feed and some and some very uh, poisoned people. Um, uh, they are um, Chaz, <laughs> Dave, uh, Rachel Bilson was the actress. I don't know what her character's name was. I'll say Claire and um, and uh, Dawn. Dawn sounds like a, a teen soap name. Oh, my Dawn? gosh. <laughs> He's one for five, folks. It's Ryan, Seth, Summer, and Marissa. Okay. Marissa Marissa tracks. All right. Yes. <laughs> Moving on swiftly. <laughs> All right. Name the four principal characters of Riverdale, a.k.a. Archie Comics. River, okay. Well, this this is dark, so they got. I'm just going to put dark in front of their names. <laughs> okay. There's uh, Dark Archie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, dark Samantha, um, Dark Jughead, and Dark, um, I don't know, uh, oh shoot, what's the last name? Meredith. I'll go with Meredith. <laughs> it's Veronica and Betty, you idiot. Okay, I, oh, I'm an idiot. <laughs> Come on, that's the classic I love have triangle. It. It's the archetypical love triangle, and you don't, you can't even name, the, oh my gosh, this is so embarrassing. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I wasn't perusing the comics outside in my grocer in 1962. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, here's another classic that hopefully you'll be able to name. Name the four members of the Mystery Incorporated. Okay, that one is um. Well, there are five members. Exactly. This is this is fine. This the is... four humans. The four humans. Yeah. All right. It's the title of the show. Okay. <laughs> I will not have you erasing. I will not have this erasure of our canine companions. All right. <laughs> but there's a uh, Velma. 
Shoot, I'm stuck on his name's his name's not Freddy. He was played by Freddy Prince Jr. in the movie. Um with the guy in the sweater, you know. Um <laughs> the Velma, Ascot, the there's Shaggy. Guy. Yeah, that guy. Um there's Velma, there's Shaggy, uh there's uh <laughs> Baruch Salt and Charlie Bucket. Uh, oh my gosh. It's Fred, Velma, Daphne, and Shaggy. It is Fred, okay. <laughs> it is Fred. So that was just a coincidence. All right. Yes. <laughs> Okay, all right. Let's love a softball his way, folks. All right, name the four Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Okay, see, an easy one. All right, at least one I'm I'm familiar with. I've seen more than let's say two minutes. Let's let's be generous and say two minutes of the material. Okay. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, Greg. Is trivia meant to be general, easy knowledge? No, it's meant to be challenging. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. But this is it's Leonardo. Donatello, Raphael, and everyone's favorite, Michelangelo, the party dude, Mikey himself. Yeah. Yes, good job. Okay, now you're now you're you're two for eight. Congratulations. <laughs> All right, name the four ghosts in Pac-Man. Oh, well, again, very easy. Inky, Blinky, uh, Stinky, and Clyde. <laughs> it's Inky, Blinky, something, and Clyde. <laughs> You're right. Something. His name was something. Good job. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Damn it's, right. It's Blinky, Pinky, Inky, and Clyde. It is. So I'm not. You're not getting credit for that one. You're not getting credit. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Thank you. All right. It, it's Clyde, right? Not Clive. Clyde. Clyde with a D. Okay. Yes. All right. <laughs> sorry. Since we're going to be pedantic. Right, yeah, we are. Okay. Know. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I, is this meant to be trivia challenge, or is this meant, you know, lob softballs for Greg's ego? No. <laughs> All right. You've got three left. Name right. the members of the Fantastic Four. And I want their character names, not their superhero names. Okay. Uh, well, I'll give you both, because I'm, I'm pretty familiar with them. Uh-huh. Uh, there's Johnny Storm, the, the Human Torch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, there's uh, Mr. Fantastic, uh, the stretchy guy. He is the... Uh, shoot, what is his name? Um, <laughs> anyway, I'll go with Sue Storm, uh, the Invisible Woman. Mm-hmm. And then there's um uh the <laughs> shoot I'm I'm also blanking on the other guy's name the the uh, the rock monster <laughs> the uh, what is his name the thing the incredible thing the, the abominable <laughs> thing the incredible thing yes yeah <laughs> the abominable thing or whatever and um what is Mr. Fantastic's name Reed Richards there it is I knew it yeah would but come you to didn't me. get the thing's name what's the thing's okay, name what's the thing's name um Johnny Johnny Rocket Sauce <laughs> 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 Mr. Radiation uh, that's Donald radiation to you. <laughs> it's Ben Grimm. You got everyone ben but Grimm. Ben Grimm. Right. Okay. I forgot Ben Grimm. I apologize. To... Just, a, just a Jew from Queens. Ben Grimm. Okay. Um, <laughs> Wait, he's really? Jewish. Canonically, he's Jewish. Anyway. Okay. Um, name the four Marx Brothers. Okay. Um, sorry, I'm hung up. <laughs> Have any astronauts been from Brooklyn? Um, probably not, but... Uh... <laughs> They're all from Ohio. To, That's a weird thing. Yeah, about they all went to aeronautics schools in the Midwest. But anyway, yeah. Um, what was the question again? <laughs> Name the four Marx Brothers. <laughs> the Marx Brothers. Okay. Uh, Groucho. <sighs> one, be- one begins with an H. Um, ha- Hancho. No. Uh, Groucho. Um, Hondo. <laughs> um, uh, Carl and. Uh, <laughs> um. Uh, Betty, I think <laughs> there was a, there was a Mark sister, right? They they introduced it to be more inclusive, right? That's Dot, Greg. You're thinking of Dot, the, Dot, the lost okay. Warner sister, obviously. All right, yes. <laughs> it's Groucho, Harpo, Chico, Harpo. and Zeppo. Zeppo is the other. Okay. 
Yes. All right. Thank you for these reminders. I, I wish I wouldn't. I wish I wouldn't have to be reminded of them on air, but still. <laughs> All right. And last but not least, okay. No thank way God, this one out. Yeah. And again, continuing the gay icons theme. Name oh, the four God. impractical jokers. <laughs> no, I will not be doing that. <laughs> I've, I'm here. I'll I'll make something up. Uh, and it'd probably be right here. I'll I'll go four for four. You want to know what their names are? Yeah. Um, Sean, um, Dave, <laughs> Matt, and uh, the other one's Sean, but with an H. <laughs> no, Greg, come on. It's the impractical right. jokers. You've got Sal. You've got Joe. You've got Murr, and you've got Q. Duh. You know, those lovable scamps. You wait, know, his, always capering. Wait, his name's Q? Yes, he goes by Q. He goes by Q. Okay. I don't know. So he's I don't the, know so if he's... They've, they've changed that, you know, ever since 2020. But yeah, he goes by <laughs> Q. Okay, so he's the one posting um, mess, uh, anonymous messages on uh, weird internet boards saying that uh, yes, Hillary, exactly. Hillary, Clinton's, Hillary Clinton's going to be arrested a week from now. Okay, yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. good to know. All right. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm surprised at least one of them hasn't been canceled at this point. Maybe he, they have. I don't know. But yeah, it seems like one is due for a canceling eventually. So Wait a minute. I can't believe I didn't know this earlier because if you think about it, a QAnon's like the ultimate impractical joke. <laughs> <laughs> this is just one of their classic pranks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like get a bunch of elderly people who don't know how the internet works, um, soothe them psychologically by just saying that, you know, everything everything you hate about um, politicians and actors is just going on behind the scenes. <laughs> Put a bunch of religious stuff in there to also like kind of smooth, smooth out their their smooth smooth brains, and there you go, the ultimate impractical joke. Wow, way to go, guys! I I give you way more credit now. I'm picturing you know all three of them giggling in the back while they're watching the monitors. You know, yeah, that's how that's how the last two years. That's where they've been. That's why they've filmed any new episodes. There you go. It's yeah. the ultimate practical joke. Yeah, <laughs> believing that Democrats you know drink the blood of children. Yes. Wow, <laughs> I I apologize, audience. Um, not not for. I'm glad I didn't perform well. I'm glad I don't know who, who the four golden girls are. Um, however, wow. I did. That was a massive waste of your time. <laughs> I'm extremely disappointed, Greg. I mean, this okay. is this is important stuff you need to know. Again, like picture all the Helvetica T-shirts that you can print with these. Come on. Okay. Again, I I think you need to like post a link in the description of this episode to let people know what you're talking about because I think you're, you're very specifically referring to one kind of T-shirt that nobody has bought since I uh, say 1998. <laughs> Please, I think no. This was like if we're talking experimental jet set, we're talking like 2005, baby. Okay, come on. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right, only like 15 years removed. Come on. All right, um, I'm not even gonna bother telling you to like or subscribe to this podcast after that shambles. Um, after that embarrassment, we don't deserve it. No, no. But if you if you want to take pity on us, please um, subscribe to us on your podcast service of choice, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Acast. We're all on there. Um, and then yeah, give us a like on our social media channels so that more people find the show. Um, again, I don't know why they would want to, but um, in case they would do. I mean, on your podcast service of choice if you give us five stars that'll really boost greg's ego because he's just 
been officially destroyed, and you know he's gonna <laughs> he's gonna be wallowing for days after this. He's just Absolutely, hard yeah. drinking. Right. Just he needs a pick me up, guys. So if you could just go to your podcast service of choice and give us five stars, that would be amazing, amazing yeah. for Greg. He needs this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and though I don't want to come back um, for our next episode, <laughs> uh, we will be having one next week. Uh, John, do you want to tell the people what the what people should be watching so they can watch along with us? And well, Greg, uh, again, it's Black History Month. We need to make amends for choosing a movie that's on the wrong side of the Civil War. So yeah. um, <laughs> I think next week we should make amends by revisiting the Denzel Washington starring Malcolm X. Yes, Spike Lee directed Malcolm X. So. Mm. This will be my second Spike Lee joint in a month. Look at me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And also catching up, I mean, we haven't haven't done a lot of black filmmakers, unfortunately. Um, (laughs) Because they aren't, yeah. Because they haven't gotten the opportunities. For my trivia challenge, I wanted to, like, have, like, talk about stars that kind of uh, ascended, like, instantly via one great performance. And I, but I also wanted it to be diverse, and the problem is those those opportunities aren't afforded to actors of color. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like if you're Denzel Washington, you got to work. You had to work through it through like uh, through uh, both a TV show like Saint Elsewhere, and then in a white savior movie like Cry Freedom. Um, <laughs> so disappointing. Yeah, it's it's a bummer, but uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I think this podcast Again, will be the first we'll step. It'll amazing. be the first step. Yeah, to to solving this problem, obviously. Yeah. With all our sway and, and, yes, and uh, influence we, we hold. So. <sighs> it's a shame we're not revisiting John Q, though. Or Unstoppable. <laughs> Can you tell I'm looking at Denzel's IMDb page now? <laughs> John Q is at least rel- uh, relevant in that uh, it's oh, about yeah. father um, who's uh, saddled with medical debt. and Yes. It's just great um, subject matter. I'm, I'm, glad I'm glad we've forgotten about that. I'm glad it's not important <laughs> anymore. So. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, can you imagine? They, now they need a disclaimer. They're, like back in the day, guys, healthcare was a problem. <laughs> now it's all fixed because Joe Biden's president. But mm-hmm. uh, in any event, this isn't a political podcast, as you can tell. So, <laughs> uh, in any event, thank you everybody for listening. And until next time, keep aspiring, you white devils. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> Change gonna come Oh yes it will